Welcome to Euro Dollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski. We're recording this on June 10th, 2022, the day that the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics reported that consumer price inflation in the United States was at a 40-some year high. It came in at 8.6% for the month of May 2022. Jeff, we're going to be discussing inflation and we're going to be going to your Real Clear Markets essay where you're, the title is perfect this time. CPIs aren't the economy and they're not inflation. We're going to go back in time to early 2022 and we're going to explain what happened that got consumer prices up so high at the time where we are now. And you make a very rare prediction, Jeff. You don't make predictions, but you do in this article. And you, you believe that we're going in a certain direction because of certain reasons. And we're going to reveal that to the audience. But Jeff, where should we begin? Basically, well, yeah, go ahead. You know where you want to start. I'm going to say, let me make another prediction right here, right now. I'm going to predict that the YouTube comment section and some of the other podcast comment sections are going to be alive with comments. I mean, how can you say 8.6% CPI highest in 40 some year how is this not inflate you guys don't understand if you don't know what can you don't know what the hell's going on i mean i can hear the angry clicks of keyboards all across the world right now saying what the hell's wrong with you people my favorite so that's my prediction we're going to get a lot of crap for this my favorite is when someone says that if you guys went shopping if you guys went grocery shopping because <laughs> apparently we're so rich that we can afford a staff to go grocery shopping, which is true. Of course, we've I, got a huge staff of people that does all that stuff for us, but we still have to pay for them and the goods. So I don't know. I've been accused of being a robot. I don't need to go shopping. I just need a little oil change every once in a while. So, yeah, no, look, you know what we're saying? We're not saying that consumer prices aren't going up. We're saying they're going up for very different reasons. And it's not an argument of semantics. It's not an argument of convenience. It's a categorical difference. And that categorical difference is how this ends up, how it plays out over time. And it's, uh, if it's inflation, it ends up differently than if it's consumer prices being pushed higher for other reasons. Several months ago, maybe nine months ago now, Jeff, I don't know, six months ago, I came up with the term monetary inflation which you rebel against because you believe that I hate that people should know that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon and therefore it's associated with money. Hernick has told us that uh, Mr. Greenspan told us that Milton Friedman told us that it's associated with the expansion and contraction of money. But unfortunately, as with some of the other words that we use in our day-to-day -day language that have lost touch with the original meaning, the original intent, we now conflate inflation with consumer price increases. So, oh, I just got a message from, who, who is it? <laughs> the Federal Reserve, go off the air is the message. And we're going to be talking about, they're going to be a part of the story. But basically, Jeff, when you say inflation, you're referring to the expansion of the economy, expansion of money, not consumer prices which are separate necessarily necessarily right not necessarily sometimes they coincide and sometimes they they do not we talked about the example in the early 1950s the late 1940s and how we had consumer price inflation increases i'm sorry and then we had inflation but not necessarily at the same time yeah and i think that's part of the problem too emil and i think we'll get into that a little bit here as well not too much though 
is that the Phillips curve is in this discussion as well, has been shoved into this discussion ever since the late 1950s when A.W. Phillips discovered a modest relationship between wage prices in the UK and consumer prices. And that's been over ever since the Phillips curve has become doctrine among certain economics, certain brands of economics, where we conflate further an overheated economy with consumer price pressures too, which then causes this absolute ridiculous idea that we need to stop the brakes on the economy when it's producing wage gains at the most robust rates, which is just, to me, it's completely stupid because that's the last thing you'd want to do. But because, you know, back to your original point here, because inflation has become so misunderstood, it's become so garbled in this technical neo-Keynesian econometric jargon, you understand why you need to use the term monetary inflation, because for the vast majority of the public, the CPI goes up. What's the damn difference? Well, what would be the difference? The difference would be because CPI, I mean, in one sense, there is no difference and we're all suffering because of it. But in the other sense, if it's a supply shock, demand surge, demand bust, whatever it happens to be supply, demand imbalance, or perhaps fuel price increases due to wars or the unavailability, inability to get food and wheat to places where they need to be for consumption, that makes sense. But then also, if it's an expansion of the economy, and if we're all earning higher and higher wages, then that consumer price increases might be expected to continue. But if the economy is suffering, as we believe it, they are, based on what we've seen on December 1st from the Eurodollar futures market from last year, reports from Target and Walmart canceling of new orders for new goods by Target, historic levels of inventory across the United States, then we suspect these consumer price increases may not be increasing or are continuing at these rates, perhaps outside of oil or food, but the underlying goods economy, we're expecting turnaround in them. Yeah, let's use the word. Let's say it. Transitory. Transitory. <laughs> transitory. And the sad thing is when you say the word transitory or temporary, uh, most people believe, hey, that's a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months at most. And here we are, what, a year and three months later, a year and two months when, we, when we're talking about the data. How can it be transitory after 14 months? And what you just said is, I think, the really important part here is by classifying it as inflation or not inflation, what we're really doing is identifying the causes so that not only can we understand where it's coming from, but we know about oh, how is it going to solve? How, how is it going to fix? How is it going to get fixed? Can it get fixed? What is it that's really going to happen here? You know, it, it, we're not trying to conflate causes. Uh, you know, everybody wants to blame the Federal Reserve from printing too much money. Therefore, you know, the Fed's doing its rate hikes and it's doing its quantitative tightening. Isn't that going to therefore solve the money printing? We're, we don't want to get caught up in these, these mistaken impressions so that we understand what's actually happening and then what the consequences that are. Let's go back in time. You do a great job in this article, which is titled CPIs aren't the economy and they're not inflation at Real Clear Markets posted on the 10th of June. Let's go back in time. You step us through what happened and let's go back to the beginning. We're going to start with the West Coast terminal. So you jump in any time, Jeff, the unnecessary 2020 contraction. One in five longshoremen were let go. Uh, the CARES Act, Amazon.com. That all happened. Yeah. Go on. Yes. Remember, go back to 2020. They shut everything down. Everybody went, you know, went home and stayed there for a while. 
And so you're on the West Coast, Long Beach and Los Angeles, the two, it's really one big mega port, but you know, the two main ports in, on the West Coast. And they said, you know, this is a recession like anybody else, any other ones. It's a little bit more severe, but because everything shut down, the economy shut down, we're not going to be getting a lot of inbound cargo. So layoffs, they laid off one fifth of their entire workforce because why wouldn't they? The ships aren't coming. We don't need you to work on the docks because there's nothing going on on the docks. And, uh, and so for the first part of 2020, it was like any other recession and that uh, very severe. And talk about the CARES Act and how that's related to Amazon.com before we move to October 2020. Well, that's how we got to October 2020, because with the CARES Act, there was that first quote unquote helicopter. And I think we should probably clear up the, the uh, maybe misidentification of the helicopter, too, because most people associate we use the term helicopter and it doesn't apply here. Helicopter money. Right, which wasn't a helicopter money in the strictest sense because it wasn't printed money going into people's accounts. It was money the government had borrowed from the treasury market, therefore ended up as a redistribution, which is, I know it's another one of those splitting hairs and people don't really care about and don't want to hear it, but that's what it was. We had a redistribution through the treasury market, through the government, into people's accounts, which had the effect of because they were stuck at home with nothing else to do, they got on their phones and said, hey, there's a lot of cheap stuff on Amazon. But buying cheap stuff on Amazon versus going out and doing things or even buying at brick and mortar stores meant a very different sort of goods working their way through the supply chain. You're going to buy on Amazon, chances are it's going to be made in China or somewhere in East Asia and have to be shipped through those West Coast ports, which are now operating at at least one or four fifths capacity when it comes to labor, as well as other uh, underlying capacity shortages that go along with it. So everybody started buying online in the middle of 2020, when at that time, port officials had said in the years since, they were not prepared for this. They were thinking, if the economy is going to recover, it's going to recover in the way it always would before, which means we kind of go back to the way things were, were going, the way it was operating prior to 2020 and 2019 and before. So all of a sudden in the middle, you know, we get to October 2020, it was a very, very different set of circumstances that nobody was prepared to deal with, especially since the pandemic, the lockdowns, the restrictions were still in place at those times. The move from brick and mortar to online shopping has been taking place. And if you look at the statistics, you can see it increasing, expanding gradually, gradually. No problem. But then during the pandemic, you could see a step change. So when you say no one was expecting it, it was a step change out of nowhere, a shocking move higher to online retail shopping. Jeff, let me go back in time to what you just said a moment ago. I just want to make sure we clarify this for any curious audience members or curious hosts. Helicopter money, we're saying that is literally printing cash or not literally printing cash, but uh, sending checks, making deposits to accounts without going to the treasury market. It would be somebody in the treasury department phoning up the Federal Reserve or somebody and just saying, send these checks to all the people. And then somebody would ask, well, shouldn't we borrow it? And the U.S. Treasury would say, meh, we're not going to do that. Is that a helicopter money drop officially? That would be, yes. Okay. The traditional case that Milton Friedman talked about, the helicopter drop, was physical cash. 
the Federal Reserve would just print stacks of physical cash. I mean, this is decades ago. You know, he wasn't thinking ahead digitally, but they would just print stacks of cash with no offsetting liability because cash doesn't need it. And then just drop it on the economy, just literally helicopter drop it all over the place. And that was supposed to lead to inflation as the antidote to deflation, which is a whole separate discussion. Inflation is never the antidote to deflation. They're both monetary diseases of different kinds. But for our purposes here, and you can understand why people get confused when we say it's not monetary inflation, because all this time they thought the Treasury Department printed up money and dropped it on through digital means in people's checking accounts. But I suppose they did take money that was somewhat inert, not being used in the economy and put it to use quickly. So that's that's redistribution. Yes. Yes. You have credit contraction throughout the rest of the economy, which the government then steps in and redistributes through the Treasury market into their own hands, which then ends up in consumers. And there is a moral as well as small economic argument that what they did was a good thing. That's not our purpose here today. What we're saying is this isn't this wasn't money printing. This was redistribution. And so we're getting into the supply shock part of it rather than genuine monetary inflation. October 2020, some 20% of longshoremen are not at work, something around there. And here come 104 unscheduled container ship calls, according to the Port of Long Beach, which is quadruple the number of the same months from 2019. So here is that step up, the shock. We don't have the labor to process it, and we have an unimaginable amount coming through. What happens then before we transition to the next so you know so-called helicopter drop in 2021 and free for all? You don't have the longshoremen to unload the, the cargoes. You have a labor shortage there. And remember, because the pandemic was still going at that time, that people were, you know, if you if you got sick, you didn't come into work. So not only did they lay off people, they couldn't get them to come, even the, the, the workers that weren't laid off, it was difficult to get them to come back in. And there were all sorts of associated problems too. Truckers, they were sick too. They couldn't work. Uh, Port times that started to lengthen. Truckers didn't want to sit and wait for cargoes because they don't get reimbursed by the time that they that they are in. They're, they're shipping their their goods back and forth. They only get reimbursed by the load. So it was one problem that became another problem, became another problem, basically a cascading effect. And then, as you said, Emil, these 104 unscheduled ships started showing up, which is. Uh, I don't think it's easy to really understand or really appreciate that the staggering amount, 104 unscheduled ships. I mean, that's just an amazing amount of cargo that just shows up that you were not expecting at a time that you could not handle it. And then, of course, that just leads to all sorts of the other problems that you're that you're already experiencing as the economy organically starts to come back in. And some of those ships that didn't sail in the first first half of the year, the scheduled ships. They start to arrive, and then you have these 104 unscheduled ships. It's just a complete and utter disaster. Very well said. Very well said. Complete disaster. An incredible pileup. Then we enter into early 2021, so we don't have time yet to process through this unbelievable backlog. In early 2021, we've got two more helicopter drops, two more Amazon free-for-alls. But if I remember correctly, we're still concerned about some variant of the, of the COVID at that time, you had 800 to 15,000 dock workers unavailable for testing positive. And then another 600 couldn't because they had secondhand COVID, you know, someone that they knew had sneezed funny and so they couldn't come in. So that's 1,400, 
out of the 15,000 here. At the worst time, you know? And then so now we can segue to containers. This is the next part of our story. Let's back up in big picture history with containers. As many people, economic students know and lament, uh, regret the lament, lamentably regret how the United States doesn't produce goods anymore the way we used to be an industrial power. All that stuff got offshore to places around the world, particularly East Asia, China, which means in terms of containers and shipping, the technicals that go on there, what happens is we have loaded container ships show up at the West Coast as well as the East Coast, but mostly at the West Coast, they're loaded Containers are filled with all sorts of goods that the Chinese have made. They get unloaded, then put on rail cars and shipped into the interior of the United States. And what goes on those container ships is not goods that the U.S. produces to be shipped elsewhere around the world. They're empty containers that go back to China to be refilled. And so there's this sort of conveyor belt or, you know, logistical dance that takes place where containers arrive filled with goods and then they go back empty and they get filled up again. And it really is literally like a conveyor belt, except in early 2020, when COVID hit the recession or the, the recessions as well as the lockdowns, that part of it stopped too. You didn't have empty containers going back to China. And as all of these unscheduled cargo started showing up in the West and that led to in the West Coast ports and that led to this backup, these long queues, shipping companies said, not only is there a pile of containers sitting there that we could do, it's going to take forever for the, the weakened, smaller workforce to load the empty containers on our ships to begin with. In addition to sitting and waiting in line, we're just going to skip the loading part. What are called blank sales. Com uh, ships just left. They would unload their, their full containers here in the U.S. as long as it took to do that and then just skedaddle. Went back to Shanghai, went back to Guangzhou to get refilled with stuff. But the problem was, You've got now hundreds of thousands of empty containers piling up on the docks in the West Coast, unavailable to be used in China. And now you have what was called a shortage of containers, but it wasn't really a shortage of containers. It was the inelasticity of the system to be able to continue that dance, to continue the conveyor belt where empty containers went back to China and filled ones came here. So... There became, you know, it became a, a pretty serious shortfall because nobody could get containers where they needed to be. They were there. The world had them. We just had no idea how to efficiently move them around. And of course, if you can't efficiently move containers around. You can't efficiently move goods around either. And so we had the enterprising uh, workers, companies, businesses in China start creating containers from scratch that they otherwise wouldn't because the prices of these things. The only, the only companies in the world that actually make containers are all in China anyway. And it was certainly so worth their while all of a sudden, Jeff. You list here yeah. that between May and October 2020, the container rates went from slightly elevated from 1,500 to more than 2,200. Then from late October to January 2021, which is where our story presently is, average rates reached 4,400. Then the third helicopter stimulus payment from the U.S. government sent prices skyward. I believe that was in late February, early March or March. I think it was late March, early April of 2021. Perfect. Early April 2021, all of a sudden these container rates are now from 4,400 over 10,000 by July, and that's the average, global average, that's being reported by the Freitos Baltic Index, 
If we look at just the China East Asia to the U.S. West Coast rates, they was double those. And the point you make, Jeff, is that the enterprising construction of these containers wasn't going to be absorbed. You know that they were revenue making, but then these costs were going to be passed on to the customers. So here is our first consumer price increase. Yeah, and it's not again. It's not just containers. So the shipping cost. Uh, the the uh, container rates that you pay, the shipping freight rates among all the shipping operators, as well as the consumer price, the cost of the goods themselves. If you're paying, you know, through the roof just to get containers to move goods, you're also, you know, that's going to that's going to uh, lead to inelasticity in the actual supply of goods, given the the uh, rising in demand, which leads to the price of those goods going up themselves, in addition to what's added on top as as far as shipping costs and freight rates and whatnot. Now, at this time, it seems like the now now that's coming off the boil, right? Isn't it, Jeff? These container rates are coming down. Uh, perhaps purchases of goods, as we've recently learned from Target, which we'll have to talk about here very briefly. It seems like it's all coming off the boil, and therefore we would expect these consumer prices to increases to also come off the boil maybe not oil and other things like that, but it seems like we're turning a corner towards slower economic activity. Other people will write that this has to do, including Fredos, they're writing that this has to do with with what, Jeff? Some sort of pivot in the consumption uh, pattern of American consumers or perhaps the reopening of the Shanghai ports. What is it that they're saying this is this slowdown is being caused? Well, yeah, we, we've seen it not just in freight rates, but also Target, Walmart, some of the other retailers are starting to warn. You see the word recession being thrown around more liberally across the mainstream media for good reason. I mean, markets have been predicting this for all, for quite some time already. But in terms of just specifically container rates, container rates peaked back last September and October because, you know, ports and shipping companies figured out how to get some of those empties moving again. There was some unjamming of the supply log jam so that the uh, these, this wouldn't be completely elastic, but less inelastic across the supply chains, which meant there wasn't so much pressure on things like container rates, even though the flow of goods was still immense. Although a lot of that flow of goods ended up going into inventories we've talked about repeatedly. So the flow of goods got a little bit better. The shipment, the conveyor belt, the dance of containers got a little bit better until around late February, early March, when something happened. Late February, early March, obviously spike in oil prices, blame on the war in Russia. We had all those sorts of stuff go on in the financial markets in Mark in the financial markets in March, including the inversion in the treasury curve, the two tens that happened in March. And in terms of container freight rates, especially on the China East Asia to West Coast U.S. route, container rates have absolutely cr- crashed. I think they're down by more than fifty percent from the peak and down by more than 40% since early March, including last week down 12% when expectations were that container rates would re-rise again because China had been reopening, which has led to this sort of hand-wringing semi-panic in the freight industry because, wait a minute, China reopened. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be doing gangbusters again, at least until things work out in the right. We're going to need to catch up because Shanghai's been closed. Ports have been closed over there, and it didn't happen. And so the idea has sort of set in in not just the shipping industry, uh, but commentary surrounding Target's warning have used the same term. 
that consumers are pivoting away from quote unquote pandemic spending, which means they're supposedly eating out more. They're going to do the things they used to do in 2019 at the same levels they used to do in 2019. They're not sitting in front of their their computer or their phones shopping on Amazon in the way they used to be, which, Emil, as you know, this is just a, a coping mechanism, a level of denial, which is really about something really changed in consumer spending overall when gas prices went through the roof, because that was really nothing more than the, the, this fragile, weak economy being burdened by one straw too many. And it seems like maybe, just maybe, the whole economy has buckled and that's being reflected not just in financial markets, but also in container prices. And if it's reflective of financial markets and container prices, eventually it will be reflected in consumer prices as well. We have been talking about inventory levels being at extraordinary heights and at extraordinary growth rates for, I don't know how many months now, nine months, we've been talking about this, worried that should there ever be a slowdown in sales, that we could have a uh, inventory liquidation cycle, a recession perhaps. We talked about the warning that Walmart and Target gave, but we haven't talked about what Target announced in between our last video, and that was that they specifically identified inventory as being a problem. And in fact, they said that they have experienced a growth of about 18% from a year ago worth $2 billion in inventory. And that if they look at two years ago, back to the third quarter of 2019, they have $3.5 billion in inventory growth, which is a 31% increase over a two-year period, which is bananas. What were they thinking? And so what are they going to do, Jeff? They're going to be cutting prices to re get rid of this inventory. You believe this is not a target problem. This is an economy-wide problem. We're going to be seeing other countries, other companies doing this. And in one of your other articles here, you're saying, you know, maybe we're going to be seeing this in other countries. We talked about German retail trade, well, European retail trade came out sending the same message. It's falling. Same thing in Japan. Industrial production, industrial activity, retail sales over there. It's not just a U.S. story, this slowdown that is taking place worldwide. And who agrees with you? None other than David Malpass, the head of the World Bank, who confessed recently for many countries recession will be hard to avoid. Yeah, so the, the uh, bottom line here is that even though consumer price index in the U.S., 40-year high today reported 8.6%, Target, you know, Target is just the first of many that will come out and say, we have to liquidate inventory, which means fire sales, prices going down across for many, a great deal of goods. As you said, not gasoline until that, until demand really gets weak. We're going to see gasoline and oil prices continue to rise, especially with Europeans cutting themselves off from Russian supplies, all that stuff, geopolitics. But yes, the CPI today was up to a 40-year high, 40-plus year high. But over the months ahead, I would anticipate that it's, start to, it's going to start to come down rather, rather significantly, substantially, because we're seeing the inventory liquidation cycle begin right about now. So June data into July and going forward, as more retailers liquidate inventory, prices come down and lots of goods. Jeff, I don't think I did a great job conveying the message I wanted to to the audience. So let me try again. I wanted this episode to say, 
that we experienced a supply and demand shock that had nothing to do with the Federal Reserve, quote unquote, printing money, much how none of their activities since 2008 has led to consumer price increases. So that's what didn't cause the consumer price increase, just as we've seen for 20 years from Japan, not the central bank. They, the central government did redistribute money, but they never thought it was some sort of perpetual national emergency. They do not believe that we're in a global depression and have been in for 15 years. I remember when Franklin Roosevelt, I wasn't there at the time, but I remember reading how many executive actions, how many lo new laws were passed in the first 100 days. It blows President Biden and every other president out of the water. How much activity, for good or bad, fair enough, but he knew and the Congress knew there was a national emergency afoot. Here we see them redistribute that money once, twice, three times, ah, then they got bored. And that was it. We haven't seen anything else ever since. You know, it wasn't yes. real. they didn't get bored. They got fooled. Again, the title of the article, the CPI is not the economy, but everybody thinks it is. And that's where this whole Phillips curve nonsense comes into it because you conflate all oh, the CPIs at 8.6%. That must be the economy is overheating. And so all of these government fools, these empty suits running around Washington thought, oh my God, we did too much. We did so much redistribution. It was, it was enough. I mean, Larry Summers is a perfect example telling her, see, I told you, you guys did too much. The economy recovered. Now it's overheated. Warren Buffett. We remember we talked about Warren Buffett last year. Red hot economy. Everybody conflated the CPI with economic recovery when the sad fact of the matter is, you know, last Friday's labor report, we have fewer jobs in this country today than we did in February 2020, which was more than two years ago. And we're trying to fool ourselves into believing that's maximum employment. It's not. The CPI is not the economy. And you're right, Emil. It wasn't money printed by the Federal Reserve. It was this other stuff. And it has caused all sorts of mass confusion because of it. And so we're not saying the consumer prices didn't go up. We're saying that all these other things are, have happened, including, worst of all, the fact that the economy was never red hot and it never actually recovered, which means as all this temporary artificial stuff starts to come down, come off the boil, as you said, it's coming off the boil, not into a healthy situation, but into a very unhealthy situation of a system that hadn't recovered from the 2020 recession. Fortunately, we know what we were for familiar with this process because we went through this a decade ago after 2008 and 2009, where the economy never recovered after that one either. <laughs> and 2011, 2012, and 2014 through 2016. So this will be our fifth go around. But you know what is interesting, Jeff, is that we're now going to be experiencing, probably, maybe, seemingly, uh, kind of a back-to-back -back recession, which we haven't had since the early 1980s. And here you go. You have an article at Real Clear Markets, which we're going to talk about in the next video, where we talk about the myth of Ben Bern not Bern Bernanke, I keep saying Paul Volcker, and maybe we can see... What's the difference? <laughs> at this point, they're all the same. Uh, just a foot of height, <laughs> I believe. That's it. Yeah, Volcker was very tall, Bernanke wasn't. And Janet Yellen was tiny. Volcker did something. We believe he did something else. Now Jay Powell is doing something, and I have a sense that he'll be trying to pursue that Volcker myth. We're going to talk about one aspect of that Volcker myth in the next episode, Jeff.